Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real-life challenges and the tools they found to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. And today we have a guest that neither of us have ever met in person, but we feel like we've become friends on Facebook, which is kind of the way our world connects anymore, particularly in the pandemic. Heidi, how are you? I'm so great. So good to be here. Thank oh, you. We, we are grateful to have you. This is Heidi Tucker, and she has an incredible story to tell all of us that I think we'll find insightful, maybe a little shocking, but above all, um, helpful in, in building those tools of resilience. Uh, we had planned to have Heidi join us a few weeks back, but she was part of that story. If you remember in the news the day that Southwest Airlines had some issues with pilots and things and shut down airplanes and airports and airlines and all kinds of things. And and poor Heidi, we joked that we could do an entire episode just on your effort to try to get out of the airport and go home. But we Listen, won't. just the wait music for Southwest Airlines, that music they play on hold Triggering. for hours and hours, that puts me right into PTSD. <laughs> well, we love Southwest. This isn't a jab at Southwest. We frequent their airlines all the time. But that was a crazy day. I was telling Heidi before, my sister was outside of the Salt Lake Airport at another airport trying to get in. And you were inside the Salt Lake Airport trying to get out. And just what chaos. Yeah. We take for granted the fact that we think a plane will take off and land when it's supposed to, or at least within a few right. minutes. And when it doesn't, you or look at the that a few hours and we sure, don't like sure. that either. But even that, but not, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you were in the airport for days until finally, yeah. I think you said you procured a friend's car and drove yourself home. Yeah, there's I been... did. I had to be relentlessly resilient to find yeah. my way back. <laughs> I, I was actually watching it take place on my Facebook wall and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just don't even know how, how she's coping with it. I went to Belize with friends and, and on the journey home, half of our entire group, different airlines, had an entirely horrible journey back, pretty much similar to yours. I ended up going to pick up two of those people from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, because oh that's as goodness. close as they could get to Salt Lake. <sighs> wow. Well, Heidi, we're glad you're yeah. home. We're glad you're safe. So and glad. We're yeah. glad you're here today. Could you go ahead and introduce us to you, uh, introduce yourself to our listeners, kind of let us know who you are and a little bit of your background. Yeah, absolutely. I am a mom of four married kids who have given me 11 beautiful grandchildren now. And I love being with them. I love um, hiking in the mountains. I, that's my favorite get out. And it's just sort of my meditation and my time for prayer and to just consider and organize my thoughts about what am I doing here in this life. And I love being outdoors. And late in life, I discovered that I am an author. And I truly didn't even see that coming. That is not on any bucket list of mine. And mm. it stems from a dream that I had. And I was shown my first book. Wow. And, wow. Um, Interesting. Had some, yeah, had some really great argumentative prayers about why I was not the person to write that book. And eventually I sort of softened my heart and did that really hard thing. And um, here I am. I'm, I'm working on four, five, and six right now. So Amazing. it's just been this incredible journey that started um, when I was 50 years old. So we never know. We never know where life is going to take us. And those callings in our life, boy, they just keep cropping up regardless of your age and where you are in your life. 
So, okay, so I love that you say that wasn't on your bucket list, but it's something that no. you've done. Back up, what what were some things on your bucket list? Like, tell me about the twenty year old you and what you thought your future would be, because I know all of us laugh at the twenty year old us because it's not oh, gone that yeah. way. But what were some of the goals or dreams or passions of your young adulthood that carried you into adulthood? That maybe what did you think your life was going to be before, of course, real life happened? Right. Well, you know, I, I grew up in a family of six children. I'm the oldest of six. And so I always just wanted to have my own family and to raise those children and to just throw myself into their lives and be at their ball games and, you know, all of that. And I did all of that. It was such a wonderful time of my life. And so I just knew that that life was good and it was happy and I had these boxes that were going to be checked. But there have been some issues that have come up in my own life, some issues of depression and anxiety after the birth of my children and those were really hard. Those were unexpected events in my perfectly laid white picket fence plans. <laughs> and those were difficult to sort of figure out. And when I go out and I hike and I walk, that's part of my plan now to stay a step ahead of depression, to get my mind right every morning, because I'm a really positive person. But in the morning when I first wake up, I am filled with dread and anxiety and negativity. I'm just filled with it. Is this, and so I ha- is this every morning? I, is still like, yes. is this, oh, wow. So did this yeah, start with morning. like postpartum depression, anxiety disorder or, or was this? That's exactly when it started. Interesting. Yep, it started after the birth of my first child. And oh, wow. it sort of hasn't quit since then. And so, I mean, it is, I can stay ahead of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not you know, in the fetal position under her crib, which I was at one point in my life with a little tiny baby, just bad. So I've been able to rise above that and do mental exercises and physical exercises to stay ahead of that. And it's been wonderful. And I look for the good in life. And I think I've trained myself and I've become pretty good at seeing the positive every single day. It's been a wonderful journey. Yeah. So did you have any issues with depression and anxiety prior to that delivery of the baby or it really was just onset with the birth? No, none, none. But of course now, you know, we've learned in our family, we go back a few generations and every generation, it runs in our family. There have been those who really suffered with some serious depression and anxiety in our family line. And so... It's something that we need to be cognizant of and careful of. I don't think that we understand. Yeah. Well, not only for you as a family, but for our listeners and for women in general, I, I think it's a big problem. I, I had four children as well. And the third one, she has severe anxiety and depression, but I experienced it after her birth. Now, when I look back, Mm -hmm. I can see it starting in small ways with my first one and then compounding with my own personal illness at the time that my second one was born. And I think I chalked up that depression and anxiety due to the gallstone stuff that was going on right after her birth. But the third one was scary. The third one, I was in and out of the hospitals. It was bad. So I think this Mm -hmm. is something we don't talk about. And having my birth background and I used to work with women in childbirth. I would see it with other women. It took me a long time to even recognize it for myself in my own yes. world. And I think that this is a really important topic to discuss because we don't really talk about this as part of the birthing process or a potential issue in birth. 
Right. I think we're getting better at it, though. I think I it's think a so. little more acceptable to talk about. And, you know, my kids, I've got three girls and one boy, and those girls, boys, we've talked at length about that. They understand postpartum depression. We watch it closely, you know, in them as they now have children. And so I think that it's become a little more, you know, out there. People are yeah. talking about it. For sure. So, for it's, sure. It's a, hard, more than, it's a hard thing. Yeah, for sure. More than 20 years ago or 30 years ago when I was having children. Tell us about your experience with that. Like, how did it begin? What was that first experience like? And how did you start treatment? Um, the first experience was just, I couldn't stay. I wasn't happy. I have this newborn child. And all I feel is darkness and dread at leaving the house. I was putting my husband through law school at the time, and so I had to leave the baby with a sitter and drive to work, and I just would sob the whole way there and, you know, run to the bathroom and sob in the bathroom stall. I mean, it was just the darkest, awful, it was torture. And eventually, I just kept thinking, I got to get a hold of myself. You know, what's wrong with me, right? The fingers pointed in, you know, Mm -hmm. to yourself, and it's wrong with me what's wrong with me I need to fix this and at some point and you think you're the only one in the whole world that has this problem you know I should I should be so happy with this new baby and at some point you realize something's not right I need help or this is going to end very badly and so I reached out you know all you have to do is reach out to one person and they recognize when you start to tell them what's happening they recognize okay something's this is bigger than just having a bad day. So how and, old was your um, baby when you finally decided that like this was bad enough now that you needed to reach out? How old? How far I would along say three months. Three months. Three months. Early mm-hmm. in, into, yeah, wow. Yeah, because I went back to work at seven weeks. You know, I'm the only breadwinner at that time sure. and putting my husband through law school. And so I was referred to a really great therapist who worked with me and, I was able to turn it around pretty quickly and and learn mental exercises to do that I've done my entire life and still do. Yeah, so it was great. That's awesome. What were some of those mental exercises, that those skill sets that you learned? It's not believing everything that you hear. So when I hear a really negative thought, I can take that and I immediately twist it and make it positive. Oh. Um, because I realized that there are is this gremlins. In- that, yeah, is this the that, internal dialogue that you're talking about? Yes, the internal. So when an internal negative dialogue begins, I recognize it, and I recognize it that this is not truth. This is anxiety. This is fear, you know, creeping in. And so I take that, and I recognize that. You know, I hear it and I feel it, but it's not true. And I and I twist it immediately and make it positive or shut it out, depending on what I'm thinking about. I love um, how so you just being aware of that. I love how you're calling. I mean, that awareness is so key, but you're using the word exercise. It is an exercise. I mean, the word exercise to me feels kind of strenuous. It feels heavy. It's work. And so that mm-hmm. thought comes into your mind and you are immediately you've trained yourself to exercise that capacity to turn it around. It's not like, oh, it just happens, but the the effort. But I imagine after years and years of establishing that habit and that effort, it it would become maybe almost second nature to you. But I imagine there's still times when it really takes work because I know that internal dialogue in my head 
is lots harder to argue against than anything anybody else ever says. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, yeah. the other interesting thing, especially when we're young, teenagers, early adulthood, when we're young like that, we have thoughts and sometimes we just give value to the thoughts as reality, but they're not necessarily true. So mm-hmm. so to be able to be cognizant and say, okay, this thought is negative or this thought that I had is just not truthful and I'm going to reframe it. And I think that that's really important to be able to realize that just because you have a thought doesn't mean that it's true or that it has any power over you and that you can reframe it. Yeah. Yeah. We have to remember we're not completely defined by our thoughts. Right. Right. That, yeah, because if you define yourself by that negativity, that's when you get into trouble. Well, and I think it's and, really easy. I think uh, we kind of train ourselves from the time we're in our youth, right? It, yeah. When we're having these thoughts, we don't really have a, a class at school that are like, you're going to have lots of random thoughts in your head. And when these thoughts come into your head, don't listen. Are, that you don't have to listen. You don't have to give them power, right? We don't have that class. And so you're a teenager, you're going through life, you're hearing these negative thoughts. It's reinforcing because that's how our brain builds upon itself, right? It reinforces, reinforces, reinforces. And then all of a sudden we're believing this and now it's become mm-hmm. true for ourselves. And and that's where the danger lies, right? And then you're yeah. in your twenties and you're having kids and you're piling on a lot. So what a great skill set. Yeah, incredible. To be yeah. taught early on. I use it all the time. I mean, just this morning I woke up and it um I had a big weekend. I did a ton of speaking down in St. George. So I'm I'm kind of tired, but anyway, I I wake up, right? And it's so dark here in Utah right now. The mornings are so dark, which is is hard for me. And I just laid there in bed and I thought, "Oh, I could just stay here, you know, all day." And I thought, "No, nope, you know." And that takes effort, right? It's action. Right. Despite what I'm feeling and thinking, I got to get on the mountain. And so I just threw my clothes on and, and ran up the mountain and I came back a different person. That's I awesome. Love that. But it takes effort. It's not that doesn't come naturally to me. I have to, to make that it's exercise discipline. happen. Right. It it's is. discipline. Yeah. It's it's not allowing yourself to have the excuse to lay in bed all day. Well, I love that. Mm -hmm. The awareness, and maybe that's what the discipline is, the awareness and then the action. Because I can be aware all day, every day that I need to do this or I shouldn't do that or I should, you know, change my thoughts. Being aware is a huge step, but it's the action you take once you've got that awareness. And maybe that's that discipline you're talking about, Michelle. But Heidi, you know, that's motivating to me. There's days when my alarm goes off. especially this time of year when it's dark and it's cold and my bed is warm and snuggly. Even if I'm not asleep, sometimes it's hard to motivate myself to get out. I I don't go hiking. I usually get up and go to the gym and it's not because I'm a physically fit person. It's because it's for the mental health I try to have on a day-to-day basis that if I lay in that bed a few more minutes, I'm not going to have time to go get my body moving and I will regret it all day long. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I hike, it is not for physical fitness. That's a nice little side benefit that I get from it, but it's purely for mental and spiritual healthy. That's how I get healthy. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break and come back and just jump kind of right into your story. And we want you to kind of take us down the different roads that you have taken and let our listeners know what it is you faced in your life. We'll be right back. And 
we're back. Heidi, we've talked about this incredible awareness you have, this discipline uh, to push yourself into action, whether it's physical action or changing your thoughts, which is very impressive and um, something I think we can all learn from. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? Take us right into some of that darkness that came with the postpartum journeys you've had. But tell our listeners your story, and let's really kind of dive right into that. Yeah, well, I've become an author of nonfiction inspirational stories. So I love true stories and I gravitate towards the story where someone encounters tragedy and something so difficult in their life, but somehow find this incredible resilience and incredible ability to stand up despite all the darkness and, you know, to move forward and to find light and be an inspiration to others. Those are the kind of stories that I love to read. And they do so much for me as a person. But now I find myself writing those stories and having the ability to make a difference and to reach out by showing those stories to the world. And the book that has most recently been published is called The Secret Keepers. And it's about a woman named Margie who was so severely abused and traumatized as a child that her beautiful, healthy, young mind split into multiple parts to be able to survive that abuse. Those parts are actually children that take pieces of that abuse. The mind creates that to survive that kind of a situation, which is inescapable and repetitive as a child. And so that's her situation. And she's able to rise up from that. And the, the story talks about, you know, we, we don't go into the, the abuse in detail because no one wants to read that. But we set the stage with that so that we understand her childhood. And really, the story is about her rise up from the darkness of that to understanding what her mind is doing and rising up to find light and to help others. And it's just simply amazing. But she introduced me to DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder. And that used to be called Multiple Personality Disorder. And it's just this beautiful protection. I used to think of it as a mental illness, and I think differently now. It's this beautiful protection that God gives our minds for these innocent children to be able to withstand what's happening to them and to survive that level of abuse. So it's just been an amazing journey with her. It took me two years to understand her story and to really be able to respectfully story with the hope that it gives to everyone, whether you're a DID sufferer, survivor, or whether you just are so fascinated by these people and their stories and want to learn how to do hard things. That's awesome. Well, that's pretty much, we have a lot in common here. <laughs> we like to to have people come on and share their stories on the podcast, and, and you're actually helping people write out their stories. That's amazing. Yeah, find expression for that. Tell us, how did you meet Margie, and what was that journey like for the two of you to come together? Like you said, it took quite a while to carefully and respectfully tell that story. What was that journey like for you on your side of it? Yeah, she reached out to me because she had read my first two books, Finding Hope in the Journey and Servi's Song, which is an incredible story about a woman from Africa. And she read those two, and she just loved the theme of hope that is through everything that I write. And so she reached out to me, and in our conversation, 
I quickly learned that she was a survivor of childhood abuse, not something inspirational that I normally would jump at writing about. But the difference was that what I heard on the other end of the line was this incredible gratitude for life and just for so many things of beauty that she could see in her life, despite where she had been. So she didn't let that abuse define her. She chose to rise up from it and to do something with it and to help others. And so it really caught my attention. And I feel like God puts me in the path of who I need to write about. And certainly we both feel strongly that that's what happened. So I went on this, started on this journey of writing this and we had to do a dance, right? We had to understand each other and love and trust each other so that those little parts would come out and tell their story because they deserve to be heard. And I spoke with so many therapists and read so many books about DID to have a real understanding. And we were able to do that. And I feel it was hard work. I heard some things that I, you know, never made it into the book because nobody wants to know that. Some really difficult issues with the abuse. But I felt protected and I felt um, like it was a mission of mine to tell her story to help others. And I, I believe that we did that. Her story could be a Stephen King novel, but I'm not your Stephen King author. I write about hope and I write about rising up and inspiring people's lives. And she has that. There is hope throughout her story and it needs to be told. And I'm honored to be just a part of her to do that. When the book was almost finished and we were just finalizing the final details, She said to me uh, one day, you know, for my entire life, I have prayed to have this trial taken away, and I've prayed for peace. And for the first time in my life, I think that maybe that prayer isn't going to be answered in the way I thought it was, which was that I would have this miraculous healing. And she said, I think maybe I'm going to find peace by helping others. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, what a full circle moment for her and how honored I am to be a part of that so that I can help her do that. That is beautiful. Heidi, can you explain to us a little bit, maybe give us kind of a, a DID 101? Like you said, most of us are probably more familiar with the former name being used as multiple personality disorder. We would probably in our minds emphasize that word disorder. Like you said, think of it as a mental yes. illness. We'd think of it, um, there's probably some stereotype and some stigma about that to, to think that one mind could be several minds. Uh, We have seen movies. I can think of a Stephen King movie I've seen that kind of depicts this and it's incredibly creepy and haunting, not hopeful at all. So can you give us kind of a little psychology 101 on what you learned, not only in working with Margie, but also through your studies of this diagnosis that can kind of help us see a, a better understanding and maybe remove some of that stigma so that we can see the beauty and the hope that you've helped bring out in your writings? So first of all, think of yourself driving home from work or driving home from uh, the office or something or any errands that you've done, and you're driving down the road and you get to your destination and you don't even remember the drive, right, because your mind went somewhere else. You're ticking off all the things you need to do that day or whatever it is. That's a form of dissociation. So you've dissociated. In a severe situation when a child is abused over and over again without escape, 
their mind is able to split off and pieces of that split are able to take different pieces of the abuse because it's too big for one to handle. And so they'll each take little pieces of it. They consider that their jobs. And the host, the core, which is Margie, in essence, she runs the system. So her mind is able to reach out and take those pieces of abuse. And it's a way for survival is the best way I can describe it. And just like our bodies are made to resist disease on our skin or all of these other things, our immune systems and all of that, God made our minds to be able to protect ourselves against something like that. We see it also in war vets who sometimes encounter such horrific things that they have to split that off because they can't handle it. Uh, It's too horrendous. And so we do see DID with them as well. But 90% of DID survivors have childhood abuse. Oh, my goodness. Interesting. So when Margie, being the host, does she have all of the memories of these other personalities still, too? Or is it separate from her core structure of who she is? It's separate from her core. They keep the memories from her because what they are is they are protectors. They want to protect the host. And so they feel like that's their lifelong job is to protect the host, to keep her safe. So the complication in it becomes that once she is safe, which, of course, she is now, she's married with children and grandchildren and this beautiful life, those parts don't know that she's safe. And so there's problems in that triggers a song or a smell or, you know, something visual that reminds her of her childhood will cause a part to immediately come up to do their job. And it's not noticeable, like forget Hollywood, right? I've seen a number of her parts. They've come out at different times when we're talking about things that trigger those parts. And it's very, very subtle. And sometimes the voice can be a little bit different sometimes, but it's so subtle that you just, you wouldn't even know it. And people that know Margie can't see that. You have to really be knowing, watching and and paying attention and knowing a lot about DID to see that. Interesting. through some really good therapy, you learn as the host to sort of be the boss of your parts. You learn how to keep them behind you. you. She gets up every morning and she goes through some really serious mental exercises of inviting her parts to come to the safe place, which is a beautiful farm that she's created in her mind, and that they are to do their jobs there, that their jobs are not needed any longer because she's safe, and they need to just stay behind her and let her be in charge. So if someone does not get good therapy, they just think they're crazy. They just think their mind is going all over the place, and they're having these random thoughts, and these glimpses of images are flashing before their eyes, And it's a very, very difficult, stressful way to live. And so if they don't get the right treatment and don't understand their own diagnosis, it can be a difficult way to live. But she has been able to rise up and really conquer that and work with her system and understand that. And it's just been beautiful to observe. That's amazing. We need to take a break. When we come back, um, we need to wrap this up, but there's so many things. That I, I want to spend another hour on this. It's really fascinating content. Um, we'll take a break and we'll be right back.
back. Heidi, what an amazing, adventurous life you've had. You've had your own struggles and your own bouts of, I mean, we all have them, right? I mean, none of us get out of life without having struggles. We're all having them and we have them throughout our lives. It's just the way life works. But now you've been able to turn really other people's struggles into written literature and be able to support and help others along their their journey and I think that that is so amazing of course I love that because it ties into what we're doing here on the podcast and the story that you're sharing today is powerful Um, meeting Margie and and her story tell us more tell us what you've learned in this journey so many things but let me narrow it down for time's sakes into just three things that she has taught me, and regardless of where you are, you know, your audience is in your life, these work for all of us. And the first thing she's really taught me is to trust my core. Think about who are you? Who is your spirit? What is your divine identity? And to tap into your soul, that's what she does every single day, trusting her core. Those abusers, they attempted to break her body and her mind and her will, but they could never break her spirit. And so if we think of that in our own struggles, we're so blessed to understand our our own divine nature. And that divine nature, I believe, with God is a link that will never be severed. And so to tap into that and trust your core, regardless of what's happening in your life, can be really valuable and an anchor. What an anchor. And the second thing she's taught me is how to anchor in hope, because we all need to anchor ourselves, right? Because the world and Darkness and situations in life cause us to drift. But if we're anchored to the right things, we can survive. Her anchor of hope allowed her survival, but it also allows her to find light and to be such an inspiration in the world. She placed her anchor solidly in Christ. And so in the book, we talk about that. Because if you anchor in people or in situations, right, see, that can be that can be a problem. You've got to anchor to the right things. And for her to anchor in Christ was the right thing. And that kept her grounded. And then third, she taught me persistence. I mean, she is just, regardless of what's happening in her life, she's going to get up another day and she's going to say her prayers. I mean, think of the unanswered prayers in her life as a child. I mean, it just breaks my heart. And even as an adult, in just trying to get through and to manage her days and to move forward and not feel some of that negativity that wants to seep into her life from those parts. But she just, you know, with persistence to having those unanswered prayers and the faith crises and the health issues and things, she's able to still move forward and God didn't change her circumstance or her abuse, but he gave her this beautiful mind to dissociate, to help her um, in that protection. And, you know, even after those childhood unanswered prayers, she never gave up. And she still turns to God every day and still gets on her knees every morning. And she's just amazing. So trusting your core, anchoring in the right thing you know, whatever that is for you, if depending on what your audience has as a religious base and being persistent just over and over every day. It's a new day. Get up, start again and move forward in your life and find a way to make the world a better place. I That's love that. That persistence, that consistency of having uh, a routine and 
just that overall consistency of having a routine that you look forward to every day that you're going to get up and you're going to start your day off right. For me, I've taken that to another level. I started to work on programming myself at night. When I get up, I'm going to think and feel about these things. And so I started Mm -hmm. the night before Mm -hmm. now. And that's just a new skill set that I've developed since losing my husband. (laughs) But um but I think that that having that consistency and being able to have a plan for yourself and not just allow the winds of life to push you around, right? When you focus right. every morning to get up and do those things consistency or think about how your day is going to begin in advance of it, that helps set the tone and also helps mm-hmm. give you the courage to face whatever may come in that day. Right. Yeah, that's right. really beautiful. And, I love and it. And to be really flexible, too. And, you know, sometimes answers to prayers and, and paths that we're going to be on in our life that, that we're nudged on, in a spiritual sense, we're nudged a certain direction. Sometimes that looks so different than we would ever expect. And I think it's helpful for us to see that and to recognize that, okay, it might not look like what I think this, you know, so righteously desired prayer that I'm uttering over and over again. I think, you know, the answer may look different than we ever thought. And I remember when we were sitting at a table signing 200 books for a big promotion that we were doing when the book first came out. And um, we sat down and I started signing with her and she, she was signing her name on the front inside cover as well. And she was just kind of sitting there for a minute. And I said, are you okay, Margie? And she said, you know, that little girl's words were secret for so long. And look at this book. Here they are. She is finally going to be heard. And I told her, I said, Margie, I have book orders for England and for Ireland. That little girl's words are going to be heard. And that little girl is going to be loved all over the world. Oh, and of course, we both I have just chills. cried, you know. I have chills. I mean, oh. it was something that she could never have ever seen but see she was persistent she still marched forward even though she didn't see the answer of what she thought she should see beginning as a little girl and even as an adult and so I think we have to be careful because we feel like we know what's best for us and what our future and or we just can't see the possibilities right right sometimes we just can't see the possibilities so or we think that possibilities are limited and sometimes when we kind of suspend what we think should happen, then we can allow that miracle to open up and find find out how to move forward. Yeah. The word mm-hmm. the word I keep thinking of in all of these beautiful lessons you've learned is perspective. It's it's a yeah. change of perspective. You know, sometimes those of us who pray to a God that we're hoping will give us our answer we have to change the perspective of what that answer might be or change, like you said, to trust in your core. Well, before I can trust in my core, I've got to get a clear perspective. What is my core? Who am I at my core? I really appreciated that lesson. I was thinking that um, this past weekend, I I had um, quite a difficult time with, with my kids, with things just piling up, just had one of those days where I could just feel the day was off. I was off. The whole day was off. The weather was off. Everything felt off. And I was kind of chastising myself like, come on, Jenny, pull it together. You know, like we do. You mm-hmm. you should be fine. And to thinking, I didn't think to tell myself, okay, Jenny, remember who you are. Remember 
what's at your core. Remember, some of these little things don't matter. What a different conversation that would put in my head if I changed that perspective rather than chastising myself for feeling down. What if I could mm-hmm. trust in that core? What if I could ask myself, what is my anchor? I love how you said we need to anchor in hope or our faith or whatever. It is. What's my anchor? Again, I can't yeah. really trust. I can't trust that anchor if I can't define it, right? Or at least have a concept of what that is. And then, of course, the persistence to me is perspective. It's the thought that yeah. if I keep hanging on long enough, at some point, maybe the darkness will give way to light. At some point, the weight will be lifted off my shoulders, even if only momentarily. Mm-hmm. And so having that perspective, you know, I can't imagine the true disassoci- dissociation from one part of a personality to another. And that's not something I've experienced. That's not something someone I know or love has experienced. So I've only ever read it in books or seen it in movies where it's probably not very accurately portrayed. Like you said, it's dramatized. It's Stephen King and everything. Mm-hmm. But I do love how you've even changed the perspective on what most of us would call a mental illness to say yes. that that ability to dissociate How beautiful is that? It makes me think of my husband who had served in combat several times. He'd lost a brother to suicide. He'd he'd faced a lot of things that had either happened to him or to people that he loved. And for all intents and purposes, he could have been a total mess and he could have had PTSD and he could have had all kinds of problems. And sometimes I would look at him and kind of marvel at, well, you're really well put together. And now that's not to say he didn't have his own weaknesses and things, but I felt like I was much less mentally well than he was. And I hadn't experienced a lot of those things. So I remember one time having a conversation like, how are you not a total mess? Like you could totally be a mess. And he, without using the word dissociate or dissociation, he spoke of his capacity to kind of separate different experiences in his life or separate different Mm -hmm different events of his life to where he used the word compartmentalize. Right. He well, could, that's yeah. a very male Which, trait. But but isn't yeah. that what, I mean, yes. dissociation in, mm-hmm. as an identity disorder obviously would be taken to that extreme. But I love that Heidi's helping us see that even those things we look at as awful or crazier to be feared actually have a beautiful capacity. Maybe the ability to compartmentalize or dissociate, maybe I could separate my anxiety from my core for the mm-hmm. moment long enough to Mm -hmm. take a deep breath and not feel so trapped by my anxiety in the moment. And I don't know that I would have looked at a dissociation as a benefit or a blessing before you put it into those words. So I appreciate you helping me change my perspective so that the next time my head is having a massive battle that I feel I am losing, which will probably happen sooner than later, I'll be able to maybe take a step back and try to dissociate and look at that dissociation, not as running away, not as shoving it under the rug, But a coping mechanism to say, I'm going to step back from this emotion. I'm going to recognize it and then step back and exercise a little bit of persistence perspective or whatever the word is. But I appreciate that. I definitely think that there's a skill in that. And men come to it pretty naturally. They tend to create compartments or boxes in their minds. Mm -hmm. And we as women seem to connect all of the things together, right? Our, Our feelings, our emotions, the event, the like it's it, it's an entire, <laughs> everything is interconnected to every other part of our life. And I, I noticed for me, working in politics, um, especially when you are being targeted, you have to learn how to, like people call it putting on thicker skin. And that doesn't really, mm-hmm. that's not really true, right? Because we still feel our feelings. And so I know that it is a skill that you can learn 
and then you know in Margie's experience it's an entire different level of sure. that right right is what I imagine so you know for me I, I I've been able to say okay I'm feeling these feelings this is where I'm feeling my feelings and I'm also like just breathe and let those feelings be what they are and then let them go and I also can say okay this person doesn't see the complete picture of me they only have this picture of me this isn't true about me this is what they may want to be true about me and then just be able to kind of work through it right mm-hmm. and so i mm-hmm. think that we can all learn some of those things can be great skill sets yeah and then this was something that as a small child her brain was able to do in a very probably protective very protective way and and it was out of necessity you know so Mm -hmm. it it wasn't necessarily something that she cognitively learned or was able to and as a child when that kind of abuse is going on it's not like you have the ability to say this isn't about me or you know all of those things but definitely and then as an adult you take what she's learned in therapy or anyone else that's in therapy for something like this you bring those parts forward, you convince them that it's safe, and that takes some effort and training. But once they do, they can tell their story, and then you can, you know, sort of feel that, recognize it, respect it, endorse it, that it's real, uh, that it did happen. And then you can take that, and they do all kinds of things like, you know, shoot it up into the sky so that it's just gone. It's handled, it's gone. Some bury it, you know, depending on what your visual exercise is and so that's kind of what you were just talking about you sort of take it and you compartmentalize it so we can do that as well right and then deal with it and then move forward okay i'm gonna i'm done i'm done i recognize this i respect it and i'm going to move forward yeah that that is awesome and that's a great skill set and and it's part of Mm -hmm. learning how to be resilient really right like learning how to make that step forward seeing the reality of what things are accepting them and moving forward we ask all of our guests on the show um, a special question, and it is, what does resilience mean to you? Resilience to me means to find goodness every single day in my life, in people. I feel like that's a little bit of a gift of mine. I've always had the ability to see people and to just see their goodness and to feel it regardless of what they're showing on the outside. And I just really believe that that helps me to move forward and to sort of focus on my own strengths instead of my weaknesses. And that helps me to be resilient and to move forward every day and, and to accomplish the mission that I feel like I'm here, which is to help people find hope in their own journey. And I'm trying to do that uh, every single day. Oh, Heidi, I love that. I love your three takeaways to trust your core, find your anchor, and then be persistent. And I think that is exactly what your definition of resilience is, to find that goodness every day, to really believe it's there, and then to act upon that. I, I know I have taken great notes. I've learned a lot from this brief conversation. Like Michelle said, we could go on for hours and hours and dive into this. But thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing not only your own vulnerabilities, but also the story of the journey you've shared with Margie and a perspective most of us probably will never personally have. Heidi, before we go, just one Mm -hmm. quick thing. Where can we find your books? Oh, yes. You can find uh, me on HeidiTucker.com. Okay. That's easy enough. 
Oh, yeah. You can find all my links. I'm on Facebook, um, Instagram, LinkedIn. I have a YouTube channel where I try to just talk about goodness and hope every single week. And so it's easy to find me there. You can also find links to my books, everything there at HeidiTucker.com. Well, thank you so much for being our guest. Uh, I really appreciate finally being able to connect with you somewhat in the real world. I wish we were in studio together today, but one day yeah. we'll get there post-COVID yes. eventually. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, uh, thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. And so thank you for bringing that kind of more to the, the forefront of this conversation as we do try to have these conversations that for so many generations have kind of been swept aside. So thank you for bringing that to us. To our listeners, thank you for joining us again for another episode. We hope you like what you're hearing. We hope that you will join us if you have a story or if someone you know has a story that you're willing to share. It's so helpful to find a voice for these stories and share that hope, share the tools that we're learning. And so if you are listening and have a story to share, you can find us on email at rrpodcast at ksl.com on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient, or on Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Thanks, Heidi.